Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. My last sermon for you in in 1 John. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I wonder, do you know, have you been here for all of these sermons? I wonder if you, you might know, you might remember, yeah, I've been here for all of these sermons. I have, I've been here for every one of these sermons. <laughs> I've cheated, haven't I? First John chapter 5, as you go there, let me tell you about a, a man named James Marshall. It's written of James Marshall that he left his family's home in New Jersey as a young man and, and like so many others, began a migration west. After contracting malaria while living in Missouri, he was advised to go further west. And in 1845, he arrived in California. He worked a number of different jobs and served in the Army during the Mexican-American War in 1846. When he got out, a man he had earlier befriended, John Sutter, entered a partnership agreement with Marshall to build a sawmill. When they discovered that the spillway they had constructed was too narrow to handle the amount of water needed to operate the mill, they began the process of enlarging it. On the morning of January 24th, 1848, as Marshall examined the channel, he found large flakes of pure gold sparkling in the, in the water. And one of the greatest gold rushes in history began. But Marshall did not profit from his discovery. The mill project failed. His mines did not produce. A vineyard he bought went bankrupt in his old age, reduced to abject poverty. Marshall died alone in a small shack. For James Marshall, wealth was uncertain. You may not want me to say this, you may not want to hear this, but for you and me today, wealth is uncertain. Like many other things in life that are uncertain. But I'm here to tell you the good news. That's the job of the one who proclaims the word of God, who who speaks the truth of God's word. And that's what I want to do to you today and for you and before you. There are truths far more important that God wants believers in Jesus Christ to be certain of, confident of, than, than your financial stability. Certainly God wants us to provide for our families. He wants us to work. But there are truths that God makes plain in His Word for us, and we see them here in 1 John, that He wants us, God wants us to cling to these. He wants us to be confident of these, certain of these We began looking last week at the last few verses in 1 John and began to note in chapter 5, verses 13 through 17, what God is showing us from the Bible that we can be certain of through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's what we sang about this morning. It's in Jesus alone our hope we find. 
We've been seeing here in 1 John, the Bible making it clear that followers of Jesus are to, and here's kind of a summary of all that we've been learning here in 1 John, believers in Jesus are to, followers of Jesus are to believe, obey, and love. If you want to summarize the teaching of 1 John, those three words do a, a good job of that. Believe, obey, and love. A believer in Jesus believes what God has revealed about Jesus Christ in the Bible. And belief leads to obedience to God's Word. And obedience leads to love. Love of God, love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Believe, obey, and love. It's a good summary of what we've been learning here in 1 John. Those are the marks of a true follower of Jesus Christ. But I want you to see in these closing verses of 1 John that we're being shown that there is another identifying mark of a believer in Jesus Christ. And that mark is confidence. Certainty. Of course, confidence and certainty is something that we need to be careful with. We're not talking about self-confidence. The Bible doesn't teach believers to be self-confident. The believer's confidence is not like the confidence of the criminal who decided he could be his own defense attorney and learned the hard way that he could not. A little too confident as he cross-examined the victim, he said these words, believe it or not, did you get a good look at my face when I took your purse? Of course, his self-confidence sealed his own conviction. So we're not talking about self-confidence. The Bible doesn't teach us to be confident in ourselves. The believer's confidence is founded in someone else. We have been singing about that someone else this morning. First John teaches us about that someone else. I think this is sermon number 25. I'll go back and look. Yes, number 25. 25 sermons on Jesus from 1 John. That's what we're talking about. It's who we're talking about. This is where our confidence rests in Jesus and in Him alone. The believer's confidence is founded in Jesus Christ. And that's what John shows us in these last few verses of chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. We began looking at those verses last time when we looked at verses 13 through 17. And let me just give you a refresher, or if you weren't here last Sunday, let me tell you where we were in those verses. First of all, God wants you to be certain of eternal life. God wants you to be certain of eternal life. God wants you to know and be confident that eternal life is yours through faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 13, John gives the reminder, I write these things to you who believe. There's a key word there. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Your confidence about your salvation is directly related to your faith, your belief in Jesus Christ. The Son of God. 
And so John points to the belief, the faith of believers, and reminds you that you can know that you are Christ. You can know that you have eternal life if you believe in the Son of God and in Him alone. That goes right back to the times John has said that eternal life is found only in Christ and eternal life is given only to people who believe in Him. Eternal life is a gift from God. A gift from God. Received only through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at the Bible in verse 11. Here in chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. So when in verse 13, John writes to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, he's encouraging believers that they can be certain. He's encouraging you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that you can be certain that eternal life is yours. He's doing something else here also. He's also inviting unbelievers to put their faith in Jesus Christ alone, so that they too can be certain of eternal life. We also noted last week that God wants you to be certain that you can pray with confidence. God wants you to be certain that you can pray with with confidence. The Bible makes this clear in verses 14 through 17, that if you're a believer in Jesus, you can pray with confidence, knowing why. Why can you pray with confidence? You can know this, that when you pray according to God's will, He hears and answers. When you pray according to God's will, He hears and answers Verses 14 and 15, look at them with me. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. God's children are to ask God in prayer for help over all kinds of uncertainties. Rather than complain, you are to pray. Rather than harbor a sour attitude about troubling concerns, you are to pray. And you have this reminder here also in verse 14. You are to pray about anything. In other words, you're to pray about everything. So you can and you should pray about everything, just as the Bible says where Paul writes in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray about everything. And what we learn here in 1 John And from elsewhere in the Bible is that God is generous. God is gracious to hear and to answer requests made according to His will. God's desire is that you know His will. And so His desire is that you, you know what I'm going to say? He wants you to know His will. So He wants you to read the Bible. 
He wants you to read His Word. He wants you to understand, according to His Word, what He desires, what His will is. And then He wants your prayers to be shaped by the wisdom of His Word, the Bible. John says it like this back in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. The challenge is knowing God's will. The resources are given to us in His Word. We're to pursue the wisdom and the will of God in His Word that we might pray prayers shaped by God's will that God is overjoyed to answer. So God's children are to know the Bible. And knowing God's Word should shape and transform your will to conform to His will. Transform your prayers in the shape of His will. And then not only are you praying for His will to be done, but you are privileged also with the opportunity to be a worker with Him in accomplishing His will. That's the wonderful thing about being a believer in Jesus Christ. Not only does He expect you to pray, but He he desires of you your obedience and, and He makes you a co-worker with Christ. Just as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.1, we are working together with Him, with His help, with His strength, with His wisdom. We are working together with Christ. What a privilege is ours. Now, look at the Bible and follow along with me as I read verses 18 through 21 here in 1 John 5. And and here's what I want you to see. Here's the third certainty for believers in Jesus. It's this. God wants you to be certain of the all-sufficiency of Jesus. This is a wonderful place for us to wrap up our study in 1 John. God wants you to be certain of the all-sufficiency of Jesus. Verse 18. Follow along with me as I read to the end of the chapter. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Believers in Jesus can be confident in the all-sufficiency of Jesus. And as a result, did you see what happens when people put their faith in Christ? Verse 18 is a reminder that believers in Jesus Christ learn to reject sin, to say no to temptation, to reject sin, and, and they learn to put on The holiness of Christ. The righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first part of verse 18 is pretty straightforward. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. 
This is what we've heard John say before, such as back in chapter 3, 1 John 3, verse 9, where the Bible says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, I want you to note that the Bible is not saying that the believer never sins. It does not say that believers never sin, but that believers don't make a habitual practice of sin. And there's a reason for this. It's because God has changed their heart. God's seed abides in them. God's Holy Spirit has moved in and taken up residence to guide the life of the believer. God grows in His children new desires. New affections for those things that honor God rather than simply pursuing things that gratify the desires of the old sin nature. I remember growing up and, and my father using language like this very often and it, it was, I always thought it was funny because it, I don't think it's a real word and he was an English teacher as well as a pastor. <laughs> but he always said that, that when God saves you, he doesn't take everything from you. You don't have to change your, your desires to, to, to accept Christ, but you do need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And then God moves in and changes your wanter. Is that a real word? I don't think it is. God changes your wanter. He changes what you want. He doesn't expect for you to throw off the world and, and to be like Christ from day one. He, he moves into your life and saves you and then slowly does the work of changing you from the inside out. And that's what the Scriptures teach us. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because God has, he has been born of God. And we praise God for that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to rejoice in that, that you, you cannot keep being the person that you were before Christ. God won't allow it. He's working in you, changing you, shaping you. And He does it through the Spirit, His work in you, and His Word. That's why you need to read the Word. That's why you need to take steps to obey the Word. We'll talk about that in a moment. So the point here in verse 18 is that Christians don't keep on sinning. It doesn't mean that you never sin. It, it means that you don't make a habitual practice of sinning. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have moved out of the darkness and into the light. Praise God. You ought to rejoice over that. That you are no longer bound by the darkness. You are no longer bound by sin. How can that be? The emphasis here is on what you've become and how out of place sin is for you now. Is this something that you can accomplish by throwing off the old sin nature with your own willpower? Look at the second half of verse 18 again. The answer is no. This is not something that God expects of you to do in your own power. Verse 18, the second half of verse 18, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. So how does the believer keep from sinning? How does the believer learn to stop sinning? Here in verse 18, note the little phrase, the he. He who was born of God is not, is not the Christian 
is not the believer, but rather Christ, the only begotten Son, as John 3.16 puts it. And the Him of God protects Him is the Christian. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Him is the believer in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, He who was born of God, protects the believer and keeps the believer. That's why we can go back to last week's study and to the reminder I gave you a few moments ago that God wants you to be certain of eternal life because you don't keep yourself saved. Jesus keeps you saved. And though you're still fighting sin and sometimes failing, Jesus keeps you saved. Praise God. We have forgiveness of sins. And God calls to us and convicts us when we sin to repent and turn again, turn away from sin and choose to take steps to obey. Jesus Christ, he who was born of God, protects the believer. That's the sufficiency, the all-sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ keeps the believer not only eternally saved, but helps keep the believer from sin and temptation from sin so that the enemy can't harm him. Now, does this mean that believers don't do anything to keep themselves from sinning? No, a believer is to take steps of obedience. A believer is to take steps to overcome sin. But at the same time, your confidence is not in your obedience. It's in Jesus Your confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ because He is at work. He is protecting. He is keeping you. And it's His Spirit dwelling in you that gives you the power to say no to sin. Can you be holy? Can you resist sin in and of your own strength? No, you cannot. Thank goodness your confidence is not in you. That's not where you put your confidence. Your confidence is not in you. It's in Jesus because he keeps you so that the devil can't touch you. The Bible gives you a reminder of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 that God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but it's not all about your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The way of escape is the Lord Jesus Christ, your faith in him, your love for Christ. And so you can praise and thank God for his hand of guidance, his hand of provision, his hand of protection. Because as verse 19 makes clear, without God's providential hand of guidance and provision, things would be bleak. Look at verse 19. It starts out with great hope. We know that we are from God. Believers know that they are from God. They have the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can praise God for that. But here's what would make things bleak. If it weren't for the first part of verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Believers being from God, having God's power at work in them through Christ, have the confidence to live in the midst of a world 
that is still being influenced by the power of Satan. Believers are confident in the all-sufficiency of Christ. But does that mean you may sit back and let God? There, there was a popular statement. I think it might have been back in the 70s. It was let go and let God. That's not what the Bible is teaching. We don't just let go and do nothing and let God do the rest. No, there is still a command here to resist sin, to resist Satan, to take obedient steps toward holiness, toward doing what pleases God. That is not legalism. Look at the Bible in verse 21. Little children, believers, we've heard this two-word phrase, little children. He's talking to believers. Keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from sin. You are, as James 4, 7 teaches, to submit yourself to God and you are to resist the devil. And when you do, God promises to you who are his that the devil will flee. We rejoice in that. That we resist the devil's schemes in obedience to Christ and the devil flees. The world may lie in the power of the evil one. The world may be under the influence of the devil, but only at God's discretion. God is still in control. God is still in charge. No believer can be attacked by Satan without God's approval. But even then, God's hand of provision is present in the midst of Satan's tempting you to sin. And you are to take steps of obedience. You are to take steps to pursue righteousness. In the midst of Satan tempting you to sin, you are to take steps of obedience. You are to keep yourself from idols. You are to avoid and turn from sin. You are to humble yourself before God. You are to submit yourself to His will. And while you're resisting sin and temptation, you can be confident that God protects you and helps you. The Lord Jesus Christ is with you. He keeps you. He intercedes for you. And when you fail to be sinless, when you, when you fail, when you do sin, God looks at the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness and keeps you. This confidence is yours if you've confessed your sin and believed in Jesus Christ. You are God's child now. And you know Him. And you can be confident that God protects you and helps you. This confidence is yours. If you've confessed your sin and believed in Jesus Christ, you are God's child now and you know Him. And eternal life is yours. Can I say it again? If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe in Him, and in Him alone for your salvation, you are God's child now. This is what John has been teaching us in 1 John, that we can be confident, that we can know that we have eternal life, that we can know that we are Christ, that He keeps us, that He helps us. His Spirit lives in us. His Word guides us. Listen to verse 20. 
Look at verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Don't miss that phrase. Given us understanding. In other words, we would not have understanding if it had not been given to us. Here again, a reminder that our salvation is a gift from God. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. This is why believers in Jesus can live with confidence. There is certainty. There is confidence in the all-sufficiency of Jesus. And this is a declaration. This is an invitation to all who have not believed in Jesus Christ. To believe in Him now. And now be saved. Eternally. Forgiven your sins. Because you believe only in Jesus Christ. As God's Word commands you to. Believer. In Christ. God wants you to know. That you can be certain that you will not ultimately go the way of the world or the devil. You are still fighting sin, yes. But if you love Jesus, if your faith is in Jesus, you will grow in faith, you will grow in obedience, you will believe and you will obey God, and you will seek to do what pleases Him. And you will learn to love one another, and you will live with confidence in Jesus. And the results, the results, the outcome of this, as we, as we labor this side of eternity, surrounded by uncertainties, the results that God intends from our lives are glorious. I would suggest to you that what God desires from our lives is a, a shining example of what Christ can do in the life of a hardened sinner. It's what we all were before Christ. Hardened in sin. Desperately lost. We needed the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. And if your faith is in Jesus Christ, He has saved you. And He keeps you. And what God desires of your life now, this side of heaven, amidst all the uncertainties, with your confidence in Christ, is a shining example of what God can do with a person who says, I believe. I believe in Jesus. Your life will reflect to the watching world the truths of what you have become through faith in Christ. And your life will be an invitation to unbelievers to believe. I hope it's your desire that that would be true of your life. That you would leave this place today, go back out into the world in which God has placed you with the friends that you've come to know and the, the acquaintances that you've come to know and the co-workers you work with and the neighbors you have to live in a way that you are submitting your life to the Lord Jesus Christ.
Because he's sufficient to save you, keep you, and help you. So that your life, this side of heaven, will be a shining example of what God can do in the life of a sinner who has surrendered to Christ and the all-sufficiency of Christ.